Mayfield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Yep, we're up in Reno. Hello, everybody. Four o'clock hours here, ESPN Las Vegas, ESPN Reno. We're hanging out. Uh, I'm actually in South Bend getting ready for UNLV and Notre Dame. Treasure Island, Willie Ramirez, Adam Hill is here back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Jared is steering the ship. Jared, let's do it. Big four time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at four. Number four. Adam, I'm in northern Indiana. This is kind of your neck of the woods. You were born in Michigan. Explain what is going on here. Uh, we don't we don't consider that part of our area at all. <laughs> is that right? Is that right? Yeah. What are you around Michigan City? Uh, Michigan City, uh, yes. So I, I have a lot of questions because I'm I've Ugh. I really haven't spent any time around these lake cities. I'm I'm intrigued by the whole thing. I'll tell you that. I mean, in, in what way? The fact that it feels like they try to be like they're on the ocean and yet they're clearly not. Well, that was one of my questions because I've already had a couple of meals, and you know I do the uh, with the UNLV broadcaster bites uh, podcast that we do. Uh, that's up on the uh, Learfield uh, Varsity podcast page. I do a PFF rating, a pro foodie focus rating for all the meals we have. Sure. Um, and I'm wondering this evening if I should go to a seafood place called Mateys. Matey, our Mateys, yeah. uh, Mateys. Uh, but but I'm not I'm not really a seafood person. But I wonder if, if Lake people consider sea, like is seafood at Lake places the same as ocean locales well they they like to think so yeah. uh you really want to eat some of that lake michigan shrimp i don't know no willie well i think willie's more of a fish person than both of us are willie what do i do well i i don't think i mean if it's a highly touted place regardless of where it's at i i, I mean no can i stop you for, can i stop you, you for a second? sushi in there's, michigan well, city indiana get out of here well, let's let's also there, there's no highly touted place did I you mean, just get like, like a brooklyn get out of here get out of here forget, forget about it uh I, I will have to back up adam on this one for someone who lived in uh eden prairie minnesota for two and a half years you're not in the midwest no oh, yes you are no He's, yeah. he's 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 east of the Midwest. No, no, this really. This was a. What? Oh, by the way, this, this got very heated. Trust this, me, it yeah. got very heated this week. And I'm trying what? to think where it was. I can't remember where I was watching it. Uh, there was a, a huge debate about what is the mid. Oh, you know what it was? It was uh, it was Will Compton's podcast with Taylor Lewan. and Taylor Lewan is like, okay. yes, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, those are absolutely the Midwest. That is what the Midwest is. They are. Yeah, they are. Uh, absolutely. Well, is, there, is there an argument? What, what's the argument? Yeah, and they say, no, no, that's like the north. And uh, I think uh, Compton, I think, is a Missouri guy. I said, no, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, those are the Midwest. Like, no, wow. the Midwest is it's Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. Let me Illinois. ask you a question. What time is it there right now? Well, that's confusing as well. because No, right it's not. Just answer the question. What time Central, is it? Central. Well, right, right now it's, uh, it is 6.03 here. It's six oh three where you are, but it's seven oh three in South Bend. What's the deal? Correct. Well, yeah, the time zone line. So twenty five minutes away. So twenty five minutes away, you're in Eastern time zone. So where you're at, you're in the Midwest, yeah. and where yes. you'll be tomorrow will be the East. I don't. I, I don't think. No. So. I, driving around. Oh, I see. Here's my, here's here's my point on this whole thing. Okay. Driving around South Bend today, that's the Midwest. Yes. Oh, it is. 
There's absolutely, there's no argument. Um, it's just, it's about, you know, it's kind of like how old is the region? Is there farming? Um, there's a lot of other things as well. So I will say, I lack found of, a great Lack of today. diversity. Um, well, I was driving around South Bend. There was diversity. I, I don't know that it was mixed very much. I don't know that people were intermingling. I'll just say that. Sure. Yeah. I, mean, I, I drove uh, in a straight line and it seemed to change in that straight line as you got closer to Notre Dame. So sure. very interesting place. But I, I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that when I when I introed it. Can you just explain what's going on here? And you picked up you picked yeah. up on it right away. Well, can you? Yeah. I mean, they want to pretend it's like, oh, man, if you're listening, I'm sorry. But it's like the people here in town that live at the lake, so they want to pretend that they live on a lake, and yeah. they like take their boat to the coffee shop. Just stop, stop. Yes. Uh, no. No. Desert shores. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. 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 Not a lake. It's not a lake. Yeah. Stop it. Desert shores. Move to a lake or don't. Like don't pretend in the mid like, around the the ground the Great Lakes again. This is where I'm from. I'm telling yeah. you. They like to pretend that they're like shore people. No, shore people. You're awful Midwest people. That's what you are. Okay, I guess we'll move on after that, Willie. Number three. Number three. Well, they're not awful Midwest people, but Yankee fans can often be awful people. Sure. Uh, living in their own area. Um, what do you guys think? Are the Yankees cooked? Yeah. Yeah, I think. Wow. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think they're pretty much done. I, I mean, I, it's going to be hard to come back. Against, I mean, I just no. Look, the the way the series is set up, like there is something, and and Mm-mm. you know, if you want to find some hope, it's the fact that because the series is set up the way it was, they were at a huge disadvantage in games one and two. That if they would have won one of those games somehow, they'd be in a fantastic position now, coming home with their rotation set up much better than the Astros, and everything would be going well. But because they fell behind two nothing, the margin for error is so slim. And yes, they've got the pitchers they want now. Uh, they're at home. They should be in an advantageous position, but their backs are just so far against the wall. They have to win these games now, or else it, it's over. Like they, th- that's that's what they've lost is their margin for error. And I just think it's a really tough spot to be in against a really really good team like the Astros to not be able to lose a game. I think they're you've in- got good, good Willie. No, go ahead. And then you've got unbecoming behavior of. Or from Aaron Boone with the, the roof stuff. Come on, bro. I mean, it's both teams played in the same conditions, right? Right, exactly. They weren't opening the roof when right. when the Yankees right. were hitting and then closing it when right. the Astros are hitting. So after right. the game, when you say, "Oh, the reason Aaron Judge's home run did a game, you know, go ahead home run in the eighth didn't go out," was because the roof was open. Like I'm pretty sure it was open when Bregman hit one at five thousand feet. I think it was the same. I mean, I guess anything's possible with the Astros. They could have they could have a fan on in, in the outfield blowing in. I mean, it wouldn't be surprising with that team, right? Anything to win, sure. But honestly, uh, every time I hear that now, as a kind of Yankee fan, because I've, I've the team has definitely lost some luster for me with the owners. The Steinbrenners <laughs> are stooges. I, I like I. You know, it's funny. Be careful what you wish for. I always used to complain about George meddling and being too competitive and going crazy. And his kids are just like, we don't care. We got handed like a seven billion, seven billion dollar property. We got to save some money here. And I just, they just totally turned me off. Um, it was funny. The other day, I was doing a show with Candy, and he was like inconsolable in the first hour of the show. Like until they got out of the series uh, and finished it off, he was just he was beside himself. I'm like, I don't, I don't remember when I was like this with the Yankees. 
to Adam's point about how the rotation is set up, I mean, yeah. it's obviously with Garrett Cole and Nestor Cortez up, or, uh, yeah, Nestor yeah. Cortez up for games three and four. Neither one have been that impressive against the Astros, and that's the problem is when you're facing that lineup is being able to get out of it. I mean, I think Cortez's ERA against the Astros, his career ERA is like over eight. If I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah, six appearances, 8.04. So in facing a, a lineup like that, and yes, the Yankees have a lineup, but uh, I, I mean, I, I, it makes sense when you say, you know, it's easy to say the rotation, now it's in their favor. They finally got a day off after the rainouts and, you know, having to play consecutive days out of the Garden, uh, the series with the Guardians and then into Houston. But... You know, Garrett Cole's a great pitcher, and he's dominating. But with the teams he struggles against, it tends to catch up with him. And if Houston's bats get hot, then it's going to be lights out. Number two. More baseball in October. But why not? I guess I'm actually in a baseball market from what I was hearing today on Sports Talk Radio. The Rangers, Adam Hiller, bringing Bochi, Bruce, Bochi out of retirement. I mean, he's a, he's a good, he's a very good manager. He's had success. We know that. But doesn't just feel, doesn't this just feel like such old school thinking? I don't know. The the Rangers are in a state where they they brought in Dusty Baker and he's been just fine with a loaded team. It's actually worked. Tony Larusa obviously was a disaster. Well, that's a talented team. Though. Yeah, I was just today. You're not about to compare the. Well, why can't why can't the Rangers why can't the Rangers win in a couple of years? They've got a decent. They've got a decent core of hitters. Will he still be there at that time? Depends on how long he, how long want- he wants to manage. Well, I know. I know this. When I mentioned Chicago Sports Talk Radio, I flipped on the Score today, and then ESPN One Thousand, both really good stations. The Score is like a super legacy station, and at the same time, the same topic. Both were talking on a Friday about the White Sox managerial position, and I was like, "Wow, okay." I, you know, I, I'll be honest. I don't know that I could work in a baseball city no. and have to talk baseball. Every day, freaking late October. You don't have to do it every day, but I was like, "Wow, the White Sox managerial discussion," and it, it went on for like a good half hour. And they were they were fired up. They're like, "Why?" Because the White Sox are actually considering Ozzy Guillen. Like, what? He's what? Really? Um, and they were they were the hosts were kind of mad. Like, hey, why why didn't they make why do the Rangers have a chance at Bruce Bochy and we don't? I mean, that's a fair question. The the, the White Sox would have been a more logical place to go. I feel like. Number one. Totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, Christian McCaffrey has been traded to a winner, and that's what you were referencing, that the White Sox are a winner versus the Rangers who are not a winner right now. This is uh, pretty crazy, but it's becoming more commonplace. I mean, this is like top of the heap. You're talking about a guy when healthy is a top five running back, but that's the issue here, Adam. Did the Niners just trade a ridiculous haul for a guy who's paid a lot of money at a position where most organizations like we're not paying this kind of guy? They did. And, like, look, I know the, you know, the easy thing to say is he doesn't make much this year, which is true. There's not much left on his contract this year. Uh, it's the next couple of years. Now, to be fair, the cap will go up more than what the contract is the next couple of years. It's not it's not he's making $30 million. It's, it's $12 million the next couple of years, which is just a lot for a running back. It's not a prohibitive-type contract necessarily. Uh, I just feel with his injury history, mm-hmm. along with the fact that they've been able to find running backs from nowhere, like they can they can make anybody good in that system. 
So why do you need to invest that much money? Now, the flip side, the easy, easy thing to say is, look, this is a team that could absolutely win the NFC. In fact, they probably should win the NFC this year. And if he's a difference maker in terms of turning them from NFC champion to Super Bowl champion or, you know, division champion, NFC champion, then go do it. Like, I, I don't – as much as I hate paying a running back this much, especially one that might not be there, they are in a – they are one of the rare teams that might be in a position to do this. Now, I, I would – I'm, I'm interested to see what they're going to do with all these weapons, how they're going to incorporate all of them and how they're going to use them. I would love if Mike McDaniel was still there. Uh, and his genius to put this together, but I, I mean, I don't, I don't hate it as much as I ordinarily would in a situation like this. Willie, it's, it is an intriguing move considering McCaffrey's injury history, the number of games he's played the last couple of years. Also, it's not as if the 49ers have been struggling with their rushing game. I mean, they're in the upper tier in terms of yards, touchdowns, yards per attempt. So. Um, how they utilize him and how they progress with him in keeping him healthy will be intriguing. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. And it's a bold move. You're going to hear from Lil Shanny, Kyle Shanahan, later on. As he talked about, he basically said, hey, we've been watching all these other teams improve themselves, and we haven't tried this. And the other part of it is to keep McCaffrey away from the Rams. So interesting reasons for making a deal that some think is – a little bit of overkill when they're pretty damn good with running backs of lesser names. This hour, presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 766-1400. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Rolling on this 4 o'clock hour, it's Cofield, Wheeler Ramirez, and Adam Hiller hanging out at Treasure Island. I am in Indiana. We know a guy who is forever a part of the company, Ryan McKinnell, who's also from Indiana. McKinnell, how you doing, buddy? Uh, Steve, I'm wonderful. I'm doing better than you. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a pilgrimage for you. Uh, I, I know South Bend and what it means to the UNO program and the first time and everyone going out, but that's my hometown, man. So I'm in Miami, which ironically enough, South Bend, Miami, the history there. And you sure. are in Northwest Indiana. I, I'm, I actually want to interview yeah. you, man. What do you I think know. of my hometown? <laughs> Big Mac attack. Ryan, he, I, he was asking about getting seafood. Yeah. He, he, what, what, Adam? What I was do. he asking? He was asking yeah. about getting Lake Michigan seafood. Okay, Adam. <laughs> Clearwater fish, lake fish are amazing. There is the best oh, thing about where Steve is at go. right now. And you can laugh all you want. The, the best right. thing about where Steve is at right now is the food. And the rivalries continue. The chefs in in Vegas, we have it better. There's no question. World-class chefs, everything. But the produce, the protein, the Amish country, and the lakes, you cannot beat the produce that Steve is surrounded by right now. Steve, (laughs) you you are in heaven when it comes to actual food. Now, again, the chefs, okay, a little hit or miss. But, Adam, do not knock the Midwest. Didn't you, like, live in 15 different places and one of them was Michigan? Come on, dude. I'm a native of Michigan, sure. And guess what? Like you, I live here now. <laughs> yeah, well, I miss Indiana very much, and Steve is there, and he's holding it down. And uh, I'm just bummed I can't party with Steve at the linebacker and Corby's and show him around town. But uh, something tells me, guys, Cofield's going to have uh, no trouble having fun yeah. wherever he's at, yeah. especially uh, Notre Dame. <laughs> I'm good, Ryan. How are you? <laughs> Everyone's very testy coming out of the game. I'm wonderful. What's going on here? 
just forgot about Willie. It's all, it's all right. You know. <laughs> I could never forget what about are the you? company. How Wait a minute, could what? I? I would, I would, I would, I would lose my company card for life, and I could never let that happen. What's going on in Miami? What's going? Oh man, there's a lot going on in Miami. I'm just visiting uh, friends and family. I'll be back up in uh, in uh, Vegas for next week, so I've been hanging out, enjoying much like Steve is uh, seafood, just seafood of a different kind, ocean seafood, not lake. Well, I guess it wouldn't be lake seafood if it. Steve, don't you guys miss me saying dumb stuff like that? Lake food. Lake food. Lake seafood, right, Adam? That's something I would say. Yes, but I like that I pointed out the seafood issue, and then you were like, no, great produce. Yeah, we know. Not not seafood. Yeah. Protein, yes. No, okay, not seafood, no. That's fair, but there is great lake uh, fish, right? Uh, walleye. Sure. Eat a uh, trout. Grouper. Yeah, whatever. Whatever, whatever. See this, is where I, a- see, this is where I don't miss I don't mean being part of the company on a daily basis and having to deal with your nonsense, especially exactly. when it comes to food, because, like always, you're wrong. Lake yeah. fish is delicious. No. Attacking. Attacking from the the, uh, the get-go, Adam Hill. Uh, McKinnell, yeah. on a, I'll say on a serious note, but it's really not that serious. What does Notre Dame and that campus and that kind of sports area, I got to see it this morning, but what does that mean to you? Because you actually grew up, what? Just outside of South Bend, is your is your town? Is it Mishikawa? Is that how you say it? Mishawaka. Mishawaka. No, yeah, no, I'm in Mishawaka. Shout out Walt Disney Elementary. Uh, but no, I'm I'm like five minutes away from campus. I'll just say this: if it's not for Notre Dame, that town is absolutely nothing. Um, yeah. It is the the epicenter of, of the sports world for Indiana in a lot of ways, especially when uh, you know football season is here, and, and obviously you have the movies, you have the history, you have the lore, you have the Four Horsemen, you have Hornig, you have Rudy, you have, you know, Newt, you have all the, the players and the names and the and the traditions of the past, um, but then as Michigan, or excuse me, <laughs> as South Bend has went through changes, right, you had like the Studebaker plant, you had the Uniroyal plant, you had all this industry, you had this, this you know, sort of a industrial sort of behemoth just outside of Chicago. It was really churning for many, many years, and that stopped you know, over the last few decades. And it came to a screeching halt in the 80s, really. And Notre Dame is the thing that makes South Bend special. It's not as a tourist hub as, as in Las Vegas, obviously. I'm not insane, but those five, six weekends a year, the whole city uh, shuts down, and it becomes all about football. And even in the late games, obviously, it's still very much about football. But but Notre Dame is a, is a place, is a, is a school, is a tradition that really holds South Bend together. And I'll tell you, Steve, you're seeing a different Notre Dame that you're there today. The, the, the Notre Dame that I grew up with was the university not giving back to the area around South Bend, not investing in the streets really? around South Bend, not investing in the city of South Bend. And they finally, after years and years and years, are finally putting back into the community. And for me, you know, born and raised in South Bend, that that uh, that means everything. Mishawaka, home of the Bethel Pilots. Uh, Ryan right. McGill, have, have you been well. to uh, have you been to many tailgating experiences? Yeah, Stephen, I got to ask you: Are you planning? I know you got obligations tomorrow, but if you it just you don't have to say anything. I don't want you to like put you on blast. But if you are planning on going tailgating tomorrow, there is a, a few different places I can point you in, and you will not go hungry, my guy. We're talking like quarter pigs, half pigs, quarter cows, like full on cookouts. With I mean, it is. Yes, to answer your question, I'm trying to like push you in the right direction. But yeah, that's my buddies grew up selling programs at Notre Dame. We just go to the soccer fields outside of Notre Dame and tailgate, even if we didn't have tickets. 
and then we would just wait uh, until game time and, and hit scalpers for you know last minute tickets. So I, I grew up going to uh, plenty of Notre Dame games. My first one was in 1996 when McGuire and Sosa were going head to head the fall in '96, and I remember watching them go back to back in like a trailer outside as we were tailgating, and then went inside to watch um, Notre Dame play the Ohio State Ohio State Buckeyes, and that was that was like a really formative game for me. I've seen many since. I was at the Bush Push. I was a lot of different Notre Dame games, but your first is always your most special. And UNLV fans are gonna, a lot of them are gonna find that out this weekend. It is, uh, it's huge for the Rebels. It's, it's, you know, the tradition is obviously we we know about it. We we don't we haven't experienced it like you, but we're all aware of Notre Dame tradition sure. football. But I saw them up close here against BYU. Um, they come away with the win, but you know what? I mean, it has been a Jekyll and Hyde team. Marcus Freeman still trying to get a grasp as to if he actually has his own grasp on this roster. What's going on what, from you know from your hometown team? What have you seen from it, and what is it lacking? Because it just doesn't look like it has a killer instinct. Well, that, that's understandable, right? If, as far as Marcus Freeman goes, this is not his team. And I think you're hearing a lot about that around South Bend, and rightfully so. By all accounts, you're talking with Freeman, a highly respected individual who's got a track record to boot in a lot of ways, and he has the respect of the university and the team around him. I think it's going to take a year or two to see, obviously, what Freeman's going to be able to do, and maybe even longer in a full capacity. I hope he gets the time. I remember how demonized Ty Willingham was when he was at the school, obviously another uh, I mean, another hire that drew the ire in, in, in a lot of ways of uh, a fan base in the Midwest that isn't the only the most tolerant, right? But I think uh, Freeman's got a really good start here, even with the loss to Marshall, with the inconsistencies. I expected there to be much more of a frenzy, and I was just back up in South Bend for about three weeks, uh, just a while back, just a few weeks ago, and I spent some time there, went to a wedding, and uh, hung out. And, and I was actually surprised at the lack of vitriol around Marcus Freeman. Of course, you had your people, and I guess I would call them outliers, that you're just never going to be able to please. But the, but the feeling I got around South Bend was the large majority of folks I talked to were you know willing to give Freeman time. They like him. They obviously like the top-ranked recruiting classes and the possibility of what he might bring. So what they're lacking, I just think, is experience. And, and that'll obviously come. But this is a huge transitional period for the Irish and it offers a decent opportunity for UNLV there and go in there and shock some people. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's going to be the case in terms of, you know, with, with the injuries it's incurred. I mean, it, you'd think it would bring the best out of them. What does a visiting team sort what, – what does playing in that place bring out of a, a program? Like, you know, you got the Stanfords, the USC's, the, the Boston sure. Colleges, the general guests at South Bend. But for a team like UNLV, a program like that, what have you seen in the past it bring out of programs like that? Yeah, I think fans out there that, that you know, are familiar with Notre Dame, I'm, you're aware of the lore. You're aware of the tradition. This is a massive game for UNLV. And it's a massive game for all teams like UNLV that come into Notre Dame Stadium and see touchdown Jesus and see the fall colors and the changing of the trees. And you think about Rudy and you think about the moments in the magic, right? So they're aware of what's on the line. And for a lot of these kids, I would imagine they would have loved to play at Notre Dame. And that, that obviously for, for a lot of them wasn't an option. I'm not saying for all of them. I'm just saying they're very well aware of what Notre Dame is and what they represent. Now, you might love them, you might hate them, but I, I doubt you'd be indifferent to them as an opposing player playing college football. There might be some outliers, but 
I think everybody knows how big this game is for, for you know, Las Vegas and, and what this means in terms of a historical contest, context. Excuse me. And Notre Dame is used to dealing with this because you're right, the Stanford's, the USC's, the Michigan's, the Michigan State's, the Purdue's, and the on and on and on, right? Those, those teams know what it is. They're in that sort of environment more often than not, especially the, the rivalry games like the, you know, obviously USC and whatnot. And it's just different, and it feels different. And that's what the Rebels are going to have to battle with on Saturday. They don't play many games like this. This is a massive game with massive history and, and implications and energy and emotion, and that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to... They're going to have to wrangle in their energy and emotion and know when to use it and know when to fire off and then when to not let the moment be bigger than it is. Because at the end of the day, this is a team that lost to Marshall. This is a team that has given up upsets before, and and they're on shaky ground. Ryan McKinnell, SiriusXM. He's on the Combat Channel. Ryan, can't wait to see you when you get back to Vegas. I appreciate the time, my friend. We'll see you. Thanks, Cofield. There he is, Ryan McKinnell. I was going to say former member. He's a lifetime member of the company. He did a lot of shows with us over the years, and he's uh, doing big things with SiriusXM. On the way back, we'll get into a little more with the uh, Raiders getting ready for uh, another must-win game against the Texans. It's the Nevada Sports Talk Hour with Cofield and Company on ESPN Reno and ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. We're going to talk to our NFL insider, Raiders insider, Stanford Route, in about, about 10 minutes. 10 minutes here on ESPN Reno and ESPN Las Vegas. Willie Ramirez, Steve Cofield, Adam Hill, the guys are down at Treasure Island, Build Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Adam, did you actually watch the Lakers last night? Uh, bits and pieces. I, I was okay. watching uh, after, so I always have something streaming during the Golden Knights games up in the press box. Uh, I had the football game on, of course, and then flipped it over to Lakers. So the reason I set it up like that, I think it's really important to actually watch games that you speak about, especially if you're going to go in on teams, and I'm not getting on you. I heard shows in New York, Chicago, and other places just annihilating the Lakers just off the box score. And it was clear they hadn't watched the game because they were so stuck on Russell Westbrook going 0 for 11 that they clearly didn't watch the end of the game. They didn't watch anything else that Russell Westbrook did throughout the game. You have to watch the games. And this this whole sky is falling thing is kind of ridiculous. I'm not saying the Lakers are going to win 55 games, but I noticed when we exchanged notes before the show, you said they're a bit of a mess, the Lakers but it was two tough opponents. And I think that's something important to remember. They came out of the gates against GSW and the Clippers. Sure. But, uh, well, here's the other thing. And I think when you say people didn't watch, I think a lot of it is they were getting run off the floor and a lot of people turned it off. And then they rallied and came back, took the lead, and then weren't able to find a way to get it done down the stretch. Uh, I think in the first half, a lot of people were kind of making the jokes on social media that the season's over. I saw somebody say they'll be lucky to win 20 games. Like, yes, oh it was getting – I'll take that bet. Yeah, let's getting, go. I'll take that bet. It was getting clearly out of control, and then all of a sudden they rallied, and it was like, hey, Lakers are back. Like, settle down with that, too. Like, it's the start of the season. They're trying to figure some things out. There was some positive signs, for sure, in the game, uh, but they are now 0-2, and, and I think, yes, you're right. Russell Westbrook had some significant contributions. He had, you know, a, a, a really fun play on a fast break where, you know, the team was seeming to get behind him and what he can do as a playmaker, but the bottom line is they need him to score at some point, and he did go for 11. Right. No, he was 
scoring-wise, he was terrible. And he's going to have games like that. And the 0 for 6 from 3, you know, right now Darvin Ham is telling him, hey, shoot all of them. Shoot, 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 shoot. They're, this is a team that, to me, has to kind of tread water until a little later in the season. And they need to make some trades. I don't know if that means Westbrook is completely out of the mix, but they have to get some shooters. And why they didn't address this in the offseason is beyond me. I think it's a lot of it's the kind of the money and the cap struggles. But when you watch the end of the game, they're down four with like two minutes left. And the difference in the game basically was the Clippers could make some shots. The Lakers can't. And, you know, at one point LeBron got a double team and you've got guys open on the three-point line and none of them will take the three. And then the weird thing about the way the team is built, you know who wants to take the three? The 6'11 center in Anthony Davis. It's like, where are the other shooters? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's an issue. And I think it was an issue that was discussed coming into the season of who's going to make shots when they need to. And I don't think they've got that figured out. And, and I don't know that that person is there either. I don't think they are. So but That's why I said they got to tread water at them until they get to a point where there's going to be a bunch of teams bailing on the season to try to get the number one pick, you know, first oh. and foremost. But there's going to be some teams bailing, and there, there's other good players in this draft. Do you, do you want to do you want to go on the on the on record here and say the two is better than the one? No, but I, I will yeah. say it's going to be the tankiest season we've ever seen. Oh yeah, no, it's going to be. I mean, we're already seeing it set up that way. Yeah, but so, so there's going to be some veteran three point shooters available to the Lakers. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, at some point. I mean, those guys look. They're they're there's a lot of those. There's not a ton of them. There, there's a lot of those guys. Like they'll be able to find them somewhere. But they're not done. They're gonna meet. They're gonna beat bad teams. They're, they're gonna also, beat they're also teams. not beating the Warriors. So, well, I know you're a Warriors fan. And you're not objective. Yeah. Yes, the Warriors are right now a lot better than the Lakers. But if you have a health, if you have a healthy Davis, well, um, and LeBron, you're gonna have a chance to win a bunch of games this season. So the sky is falling. Stuff and Russell Westbrook is gonna have good games throughout the season. Listen, last night was not a good one. Don't just get stuck on. The 0 for 11. Yeah. Stanford route's on the way in less than six minutes. Cofield and company with the Battleborn Sports Hour presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyers 766-1400. It's Cofield and company live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Back here at ESPN Las Vegas every Friday, we get a chance to check in with the former Raider, Stanford Routes, a former Oakland Raider. Lots to get to. We'll get to the Raiders in a couple of minutes, but i got to ask you about the big trade of the week, and that was Christian McCaffrey on the move to the Niners. What do you think? Oh, man, I, you can tell those 49ers, they see that they had got a little bit of an opportunity to make another run. Now Jimmy G is back in the fold and now just adding one more playmaker to that already potent offense of having a Debo Samuels, of having a George Kittle, obviously Brandon Ayuk, and now adding Christian McCaffrey, who's back in the Bay Area where he went to school at. I think that uh, that's a great move for the 49ers. And obviously Carolina is able to now build more draft capital so they can rebuild their franchise. It's kind of weird. I've heard a lot of of the uh, NFL people say, hey, way too much. You paid way too much, a second, a third, or fourth, and a fifth. Are they onto something there? Did, did, did they give up too much draft capital, especially for a guy who is hurt often, at least recently? 
I think that it's something that they're just going to go ahead and they'll they'll cross that bridge when they come to it after the season is over with. What they got to restructure, possibly trade Christian McCaffrey to another team, something like that. I think they're going to try to go for this thing. Obviously, you see the defense; they've had their injuries, but D'Amico Ryan's is the D coordinator. He's got that team balling as they've been able to go ahead and produce some big games so far this year. And for Kyle Shanahan, you just give him one more weapon that just makes him all the more potent. And I think right now, when John Lynch, uh, obviously a uh, um, Kyle Shanahan, they see that they have something here and now they want to try to go for it because I can tell you like this, Steve, right now when you look at the landscape within the NFL, name more than two and you're going to struggle once you get past two. Name yep. more than two great teams. Yeah, I don't think there's anyone I would say is guaranteed. Well, I can't say both teams are guaranteed to make the Super Bowl. Great teams are the Bills and the Chiefs, but beyond that, the NFC is totally wide open and the packing order in the AFC behind the Chiefs and the Bills is – also pretty open. And here's the other thing with the Niners. They're not one of those teams paying a quarterback 30 to $50 million. So yeah. they have extra cap room. And if you're going to, you want to spend it on Debo and you want to spend it on a running back weapon, you can go do that. And mind you, you got to go ahead and look at how they're not going to have to pay all of Christian McCaffrey's 2022 salary because we've right. already had what six, seven games so far this year. So they're picking up the remainder of his salary. So little things like that matter. And that's why I go back to the point of, I think that they're going to, they're going to readdress the contract issue at the end of the season, whether it's restructure, maybe go ahead and extend him out further, trade him, outright release him. I don't know. But I think right now for the 49ers, we're worried about 2022. Right now, today is October 21st. We're worried about for the next four months. Can we go ahead and somehow, some way, get over that hump, get back to the Super Bowl, right the wrong that we had in the Super Bowl just three years ago against the Chiefs? And oh yeah, that's who the 49ers play on Sunday. And I think that they're just going to worry about that when the time comes in early 2023. It's funny how many times media, and I'll, I'll point to football nerds, will say that certain guys aren't worth it, certain positions aren't worth it. Listen, I don't know if it's going to make this team a 12-win team, but the difference that DeAndre Hopkins made for Kyler Murray last night was clearly visible. <laughs> they needed that guy around, especially with Hollywood Brown down. I mean, that was a hell of a return. Yeah, uh, 10 catches, 103 yards, first game back off the six-game <laughs> suspension. Uh, obviously, we can say that Kyler Murray was happy to have his number one target back. And I think that anytime you give a quarterback a weapon, anytime you give him his top weapon, he's obviously going to have a much easier day than if he's going against guys who cannot create the separation, guys who cannot command a double team, guys who aren't going to be out there with that level of production and talent. Let's just ask Aaron Rodgers right now for crying out loud what he's going through in Green Bay. So, uh, nonetheless, like I said, you had DeAndre Hopkins back onto your football team. For Kyler Murray, there was nobody in the world that was happier than him last night. Let's stay in the division. Stanford Route is with us. Let's talk about the Rams, and it's been a real mystery with uh, the Rams. They finally got it going second half at least a little bit to take out the Panthers last week. But explain to me how you can be Matt Stafford, and I understand he didn't throw a lot in the preseason, so maybe that's part of it. But you've got Cooper Cup, and all they do is go to Cooper Cup, and Allen Robinson still hasn't gotten into – the flow of the offense this team can't win with just one weapon no they can and that's why to me i think uh obj coming out with that tweet uh, a couple days ago basically stating how the rams just basically gave him a low ball offer and that's why he's not with the rams right now to me i think the loss of von miller and obj is the reason why the rams won the super bowl but now that loss is going to be the reason why they're not going to be able to get back over that hump and get back there again because we know Aaron Donald is great, but Von Miller provides a certain level of competitive. Uh, Von Miller allows Aaron Donald to be single team. 
And we all know Aaron Donald cannot be guarded. He cannot be blocked if you single team him. So right. when you now then take that to the offense for a Matthew Stafford, having an OBJ, and also they had Van Jefferson. You got Allen Robinson, who's now back, who's now not back, but he's in this now receiver core. He's new to this. This is new to him. He's still getting acclimated to the West Coast. He's getting acclimated to Sean, Mc, Sean McVay's play calling. So to me, right there, they're going to lean heavily on a Cooper Cup but you can shift the coverage. You can double team him. You can do things like that. So they're going to have to find somebody who can stretch the field, somebody who is a playmaker to take a little bit of the pressure off of Cooper Cup. But also we remember this. Matthew Stafford led the league in interceptions last year. He had a great playoff run. But Matthew Stafford did not have a great regular season last year. So right now, I think you're seeing the Los Angeles Rams, how they truly are, minus OBJ and minus Von Miller. You know, the other big problem with the Rams, too, is the O-line, and they lost Andrew Whitworth, who played yeah. forever, and they just haven't replaced him. Let's move over to the AFC West as we're talking to Stanford route here. Some NFL on a Friday on Cofield and Company is we're uh, in South Bend, Indiana, and also at Treasure Island here on this Friday. Um I'm a little worried about the Chargers, and I think a good quarterback can overcome a good bit, but when you lose your left tackle in Rashawn Slater, and now the other night, they got through it, but they were down to their third center. And at some point, if you don't have your left tackle and you're that thin at center, I mean, that's going to crush the offense, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think uh, in today's game, obviously, the left tackle, that's probably what the second or third most important position on the football field, definitely behind quarterback. And then you can go ahead and rank them however you want to between edge rusher, corner and a left tackle. But you got to be able to have somebody to protect that quarterback's blind side. Obviously, with Justin Herbert, one of the top quarterbacks in the league, you got to be able to keep him upright. That way he's able to be that big, strong arm quarterback in the pocket to make all those throws. But yes, to your point, Steve, it seems like the Chargers have not found their way to actually turning the corner versus how they were up and down erratic last year so I think that you're probably going to see more up and down erratic inconsistent play out of the Chargers from the quarterback position the offensive side of the ball and also the defense side of the ball just because like I said once again you can't have injuries but something about that team as far as their roster it's constructed greatly but something about it, and then that's where you got to look at Brandon Staley potentially. Something about that team, it just seems like they have not turned the corner and you still don't know why. Yeah, and if anyone didn't think that uh, Keenan Allen was a great player, you've seen the absence of Keenan Allen has hurt a lot as well as the Chargers taking on the Seahawks. All right, so the Texans are in town to take on the Raiders. And again, even with the bye week, the Raiders come in limping in terms of offensive weapons. So what do you think it's going to look like out there with Carr and Devontae Adams with no Waller and no Renfro again? I think obviously he's going to have to feed um, uh, Devontae <laughs> Adams early and often. Devontae Adams is going to really have to earn his money. He's already earned it, but he's going to have to earn it even more because I'm pretty sure you're going to see a lot of shifting of the coverage to Devontae Adams, double teaming, sometimes even triple teaming, things like that, to make sure that they don't allow him to beat them single-handedly. They're going to make Derek Carr have to go to the unsung heroes, the guys who are next up to try to fill in for Runfro and Waller. But I think above all else, you might as well just right lean on that run game. Josh Jacobs has been playing well this year. You can tell he's he wants to earn a new contract, and he so far has done a great job of that early on. I would lean on Josh Jacobs. I would lean on the run game and try to go ahead and put this game out of reach early because I do not think, obviously, the Houston Texans with Davis Mills can actually match you blow for blow in a shootout. Where are the Texans dangerous? You mentioned Mills, but where are the Texans potentially dangerous on offense? Brandon Cooks. 
<laughs> I mean, you got to make sure that you stop him. And that's something that if he gets going, all of a sudden this offense is going to be more explosive. Brandon Cooks, he's a miniature receiver, about 5'9", but we all know he can burn, he can stretch the field, things like that. If you can contain him and not allow him to get going, I don't think Davis Mills is going to have a productive day if he does not have his top target that he can go to. Why are the Texans dangerous on defense? I mean, uh, Lovey's got a great background. They've actually been really solid on D. Because they're simply just playing top down. They're not getting beat deep. They're not giving up big plays. They're not allowing quarterbacks to just throw the ball, fling the ball downfield on big chunk plays. That's why you're seeing the Texans. They're giving up, what, only, I think, 20 points a game so far this season. And for Lovey Smith, he's always been historically known to be a cover two type of defensive-minded coach where they're going to keep everything in front of them. They're going to play smart football. They're going to play discipline. They're not going to be out of their assignment and things like that. They're going to make you go the long, hard way. They're not going to give you the big chunk chunk plays because they're counting on you as the offense to make the mistake to drop the pass on third down to get the holding call which now gets you behind the chains to have an illegal procedure penalty where now it's second and 15 instead of second and 10 things like that they're going to rely on the offense to simply shoot themselves in the foot that way they can get in front of the chains from a defensive perspective Last one, Stanford. I wanted to look at uh, one of the other games in the division, and that's the Broncos. You know, the Jets are now favored on the road against the Broncos. Th this is insane. The Broncos have been close. I believe they're going to turn the corner here. The Russ Wilson story has just gotten out of control. And, you know, people think he stinks now. Am I missing something here? Like the Broncos are right there, correct? Yeah, they're right there, just like the Raiders are in many ways. And I think that because Russell Wilson is now in a new city, he's in a new conference, he's got a new head coach, he's got new teammates. It's going to take a little bit longer for him to get acclimated. Now, I will say this for everybody dumping on Russell Wilson or everybody wondering, has he fallen off the cliff? Has he, has he taken that precipitous decline? I will tell everybody this. If you take away the Legion of Boom and you take away the two Super Bowl appearances, the one Super Bowl championship, does America, does the football world still revere right. Russell Wilson in the same magnitude as they do right now presently assembled with the Super Bowl championships, the Legion of Boom that helped win a lot of games up there in Seattle, things like that. So my point is, is that I think in a lot of ways, this is closer to the real Russell Wilson than we probably saw in Seattle because, like I said, he's made a lot of plays, made a lot of, a lot, scored a lot of points, thrown a lot of touchdowns, no doubt about that, no disrespect to him. But when Russell Wilson started cooking, when he started having a lot of stats, Seattle wasn't winning. When Seattle was winning with Legion right. of Boom, Russell Wilson was playing more closer to the game manager role. Not saying he is a game manager, but he was playing closer to that role than flinging it around the field, let Russ cook, let him be the engine that starts the car. So that's why I look at it from that perspective. We look at it like it's a precipitous decline. But could it be that we look at him with a certain level of luster in our eyes because of the Super Bowls because of what the Legion of Boom helped, or should I say augmented, assisted with all of those winning seasons throughout the early 2010s. That, to me, right there, I think you got to take a step back and look at it from that angle. All right, Stanford. Great job, man. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Man, you be good, Steve. Uh, talk to you next week, man. Be safe out there. There he is, Stanford Rat, one of our Raiders insiders, NFL insiders, appearing on Fridays. Make sure you check out his podcast, the Believe in Raiders podcast with Dennis Ackerman as they spend a good 15, 20 minutes going into the ins and outs of the Raiders game against 
the Houston Texans. Giveaway time, 364-1100, Winner, caller 7, 364-1100, gets a six-foot classic sub from Porta Subs, and you qualify to win a new Yeti cooler from Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas. Remember, Porta Subs on Tuesdays, it's two-foot Tuesdays. Get 20% off any two-foot classic sub when you order online and enter the coupon code 2YUM at checkout. Winner right now, 364-1100, 364-1100. Caller number seven, Jared's going to hook you up with the six-foot classic sub. <laughs> 